Welcome back, everyone, to Tech Talk, the officially unofficial Transformers TCG podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Scott of VectorSigma.info, and you are listening to part two of our 2019 year in review. Please enjoy. Uh, <clears throat> now, I put a brief thing in here after Origins because we did get our the the first promo cards for coming in with Wave 3, which was just... It was cool to see these these things making their ways to stores and more things coming in. Again, it, it's more about where does Wizard see the game going? How is the game playing out? And how is the community accepting things? Was there anything that stood out to you to that before we move into actual Siege 1? No, the only other, the only other big thing about Rise, like you said earlier, it was it was the set that we probably like misjudged the most mm-hmm. um, and misunderstood the most because we were... I think probably because we just played Wave One for so long by itself that um, it just took so long to actually adapt to what we saw in front of us. That um, yeah, it seemed like there were so many shiny toys, but in reality, we should have been polishing up the shiny toys more often than trying to create, trying to always find new ones. Right. Because again, it, it, it's just a time. So yep. So from there, we get Siege One. It this will probably segue relatively quickly into Gen Con. And to your point, yeah, to your point, (laughs) I wonder why, Yeah, (laughs) to the point you were just making is that I think the lessons learned from the the beginning half of the year, because at this point we're in, we're into June, July, uh, have definitely, I don't want to say culminated, but they definitely influenced heavily the discovery period in Siege 1 and how we were attacking the Gen Con event. Um, <clears throat> so before we dive right into Gen Con, Scott, any specific things that come to mind when we're talking Siege 1, like initial release Siege 1? Only about the card's economics that I really don't want to get into on this pod. That's fair. Um, yeah. So then segueing directly into Gen Con... What do you feel the lessons were about preparation or from a, a testing standpoint or anything like that that you wanted to, to discuss? I mean, the big thing for me was that you also... So I think what we had a month between Rise of the Combiners and the Constructicon set coming out mm-hmm. of actual gameplay. Here, we weren't going to have that. So the immediate in-between release of Blaster Soundwave was coming out and legal for the exact same major event that was pretty much the only thing that anyone cared about like you know there were locals yep like so it was almost like you had the, the like an extended amount of the set that, but you physically couldn't get your hands on it until yep like a, a week ahead of time so that was the big thing i think for me we couldn't there was so much uncertainty like i remember i just remember like you know how to recover cassette work with these cassettes how did some of these rules work like a right. lot of things were being thrown in their head because we were having new cards thrown at us at the same time as having this other set thrown at us. Yep. And like, how are we going to get our hands on it? We also had these Omnibots, like how are we going to, no, and you know, thank you wizards. We were fortunate, you know, you and I were fortunate enough to have these cards in our hands at yeah. the time. So that wasn't even a question, but although to be, time, like, there was they only- also did a good job of making sure there was enough. It didn't, did not yeah. appear there was any kind of shortage for Blaster versus Soundwave at Gen Con. No, certainly not. Um, but it was a concern. Absolutely, um, yeah. And I, I, it, it felt like, like every week there was new things just being thrown at us, like all over the place. Yeah, I can and definitely agree. 
almost to an exhausting degree. <laughs> yeah, and and to be honest with you, like I, I, it's it's weird to say, but I I felt like Siege One was kind of an underpowered set compared to the other two. Like I would I could probably argue that it's the least powerful set out of the three out of all four as of the standpoint. Certainly, in especially, retrospect, I would agree. Especially from a battle card perspective, that's the big thing. Like from a yes. battle card perspective, I feel like it's certainly. Um, underpowered until I mean certain ones obviously have risen to the top but like at the same time a lot of the ones that were good before have fallen off right um like secret actions in siege one in my opinion were extremely underwhelming now the um, there is the the looming shadow specter of press the advantage which was still legal at the time yep. and looking yep. back on it I do wonder because going into to Gen con the anticipation was that it was going to be heavily orange slanted, like all yep. over the place. They, they, you had these lionizer builds that were just running amok across the internet, and then there was a ton of orange stuff that you know jumped out at you. If we didn't have press, how much different would that event have looked? And I, 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 I on one hand, I feel like, well, yeah, then Shockwave and friends make an appearance. We probably would have seen a lot more general megatrons whether they would have actually succeeded or not is another story but i feel like we would have seen a lot more um whereas it almost to an extent it felt like it shortcutted for everybody a lot of the evaluation because it's just like well i could do this thing or i could just press the advantage something into oblivion <laughs> and it, it definitely jump-started it or pivoted a lot of the the perspectives i think yeah, and I think we I, we forgot to mention the swap parts ban. That was in between. Oh, the you're right. Parts. Yeah, that that was before Origins. That's a good catch. I was always that, forget about that. Yeah, and there was that broken combo deck. Well, it, dealt with. I guess the, the the major point there is again beating the dead horse of learning where the unofficially official boundaries are from wizards of like no this is yeah. not okay which it, it did okay so here's a good point and it's something when everybody takes up their torches and pitchforks on the internet like the internet loves to clearly wizards is invested clearly they care and that they were willing to do something drastic and we're going to touch upon this again when we get to later in the year but they're not just going to let something fester they they have they know what they're doing and i know people love i've seen a lot of snide comments on various band posts um clearly aimed at the the wizards team and it's like look everybody's human but also they're clearly trying to produce a good product they care enough that they're going to take these actions if appropriate and I think that was actually a ban that happened before a nice player. Like, it was just... Well, it was right before... Like, I think they announced it, and then shortly thereafter was a swap... And somebody will probably correct me on this, but I think it was, like, shortly thereafter when it was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a problem for when organized play goes into effect. So we're going to do something about it now. I just don't remember anybody <laughs> whining that just got ruined. That's why I thought it might have been earlier, but I don't... It could be. I might have just been so... in. in like, you know, with getting prepared for Origins, I didn't even care. 
Um, it, yeah. That wasn't to be playing any kind of weird combo. But, um, right, right. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, I would say that was the least impactful because, again, there was no giant organ. Right. I would say the, the press impact. Yeah. And we'll, we'll bring that up again. I just, it was an yeah. idle thought as we were discussing Gen Con that it's, it, it, it played a significant role in addition to all of the, the constant stream of new content, new cards that you were referencing. And it, it did, this was the first big event that I got. Well, I mean, I guess PAX two, because this would have, this is the third PAX this year. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, pre EI PAX, uh, this is the first really big Transformers event that I got to play in. I thought it was awesome. Uh, I agree with your earlier points about the way that the flights worked for qualifying. And I think I'm hoping we see them return. Yes, there are issues. I think it's a pretty solid system regardless. Um, and obviously that's where I got my cue. So I was okay with it overall <laughs> at yeah, the end I'm of the saying, day. I'm, I'm not saying I think there should be like one to the end, but I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, before I derailed everything with the press and other bands, what what were your other thoughts from Gen Con takeaway? Whether it's meta wise, it's um, some more Siege One thoughts, anything along those lines? Uh, the big thing is just again, like no 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 stones left unturned. I mean, like we we played decks that were heavily influenced. Set. Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me from the event over. We should have had more confidence in a deck that was completely built from the new set in Blaster, which would have, with the right call for Sunday, been for Right. Now, to be so, fair, it was also, uh, like, that deck was literally constructed the weekend before and, like, finalized the weekend before, which seemed to be, at this stage now, a recurring theme, but um, <laughs> at least to some extent. <coughs> um, yeah. So I, I think it's definitely a, the more unfair of going, mm. and that's that's where I think that like, I mean, obviously, we did great at the event. We all thirty two top. Mm. I top forward with the general optimist deck, but it just it played too fair compared to what Blaster could do, um, and had I mean I ran it in the Saturday qualifier, very good. Run. You know, you qualified with it. You played with, it, I it mm. with, obviously. Um, but the right call would have been to play that deck on on Sunday. I don't. I think my matchups would have been. I mean, I'm pretty sure I would have made the finals instead of losing like four matchup. I was playing Blaster. Gotcha. I'm pretty positive that I would have. So, um, just from a from a spheres perspective i was about to um, say so this <laughs> this is around the time where i think you posted the spheres article no no when did months a couple months later was it that this much is later? Where, the origins of it no pun intended came from <laughs> our testing for gen con but mm. like it, it bore itself out at the event as well absolutely um but the big it was posted after press was banned because press messed up the spheres so much because like for example, like you couldn't run a three wide shockwave when press still existed, right? So like that whole theory was kind of out the window. There was no control deck because like Optimus Ride Battlefield Legend really wasn't that, that good anymore, and 
like you couldn't run shockwave in a world of presses. Yep. So so like that whole sphere didn't exist because of one card really. So honestly, the the theory could only come when you had a balanced card pool to work with. And I think I think honestly, I think one caveat to the whole theory could be that like that. I think we see that even now where we don't think three wide aggro strategy because the card pool just doesn't support it. I think you know the card pool just didn't support a three wide control deck existing because of right. the existence of press. So that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. It's just that things get out of whack when you go. Rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock to just rock, paper, scissors. Yes. Um, or four, whatever you want to say. Um, <laughs> I got you. But, you know, I think that's the big, I think the big thing there is just to have confidence in, not only confidence in what you tested for a short period of time, but like understand the power level of what you're dealing with here. Um, I mean, the deck was able to operate on both players' turns, which no other deck could you know, could do without the use of multiple cards. One of, yep. them, one of the cards that was able to exist was, was a character, so it was it was obvious. I mean, you were basically getting... And again, this pushed that same envelope that we mentioned earlier about star- You got two free stars by mm. playing the deck, right. let alone if you were... There was no really good version ever of playing all three cassettes, but um, if you ever went that route, you got three free stars um, right. out of the deal. Um, so, you know... I just think understanding what is like above the power curve instead of being at the like above the power curve, not at the top of it, if that makes any sense. Like I feel like a lot of decks are still on that curve, but sometimes there's decks that are literally above it. Right. Um that break it. And I feel like at the time that deck broke the power curve given the ability to play press, given the ability to interact turn with Ramhorn, given the ability to sometimes just hit for what uh, a bazillion <laughs> 11 on turn like 13 on turn one yeah like you know you can definitely do some battle really ma- unfair things yeah with a battle master with pre- you know with press with um peace returning etc so like mm. you know what what's the power of getting extra plays like that's where that deck came into play and I, th- um, I think the so. you had said it a couple times there, but one of the to reiterate one of the most important takeaways is look for the most potentially oppressive, the most powerful thing that you can do. And to your earlier point about wave two and refining the quote unquote good stuff, you find the thing that does all the best stuff or does one thing so well that it it can obliterate everything else or you know mostly everything else and then hone that weapon as opposed to try and spread it thin um it, like you said it in retrospect it's easy to say yeah we should have all played blaster because it did all these unfair things but i think just like when we started out with saying okay we needed the the three wide optimist it had to exist before we get to the next stage this was kind of one of those okay, well, yeah, just doing really unfair things sometimes is enough and you just get there. So I think it, that was, it. at least for me personally, it definitely was a turning point where now I'm, that's constantly at the forefront as I'm looking for other things. Well, what does this do uniquely? Can that be leveraged? And how far can that be leveraged? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a, I don't know if we're going to get something as obvious as just 
get to play a free card every other turn and also get extra stars, but you never know. Yeah, like I said, the big thing is just understanding when you have something that's really the envelope and be willing to take the opportunity to play it even in, in a in a setting where it's like do or die type situation. Yep. Uh, so in between Gen Con and Siege 2, we did get that press ban, which clearly changed a lot of things and caused us to reevaluate a lot of stuff um, <clears throat> leading up to it. But in between also was the entire EIQ season, which was yep, and then a little the bit of a big deal. And what? And the start and the start of the well, the PPG tour I think was actually after the well, no, it was after the banning. So I think so. Yes? Question mark? Did they, did they play it with the banning? I don't remember. Uh no, I think you're thinking of that other rules change that was later. Okay, I think, but Columbus, regardless, I don't know if Columbus had it. Already. Yeah, they were. It was around that time frame. So yeah, the EIQ season as a whole, I think everybody had their own ideas coming in as to how it would shape up and how it influenced things. We, in our interview with Drew from the Energon Invitational, we did have a chance to to pick his brain a little bit. You put forth some thoughts, Scott. Do you still feel the same way? Do you now that you've had even more time to think about it, do you feel differently about the EIQ season? Presumably, we're going to see an EIQ season again this coming year. So, what would you suggest people do to prepare differently? Or other thoughts, I guess. Um, I think it was great. Um, I think that I think in some places, uh, again, where the player base wasn't able to make it out to a lot of the larger events, um, these tournaments formed the culmination of their season. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a there was just a limited amount of play that they could do, um, and this was you know they had to qualify at this one event or these these two events that existed, um, right? So you know that was the big thing for me for people that weren't in our area, and then for people that were area, it was just a matter of like being able to go to a tournament where a decent number of people showed up and wanted to have something to play for. I think was very very obvious. Yes, um, I th- I think the effect of quote having something to play for beyond the prizes, and I I knew this in my twenty years of playing, or twenty five years I guess of playing TCGs is that that's what people want, and that's why a lot of people play. They don't play for the actual physical prize; they play for glory of what what that prize brings to them. I guess you could. Like whether it's qualification, whether the it's, real uh, prize was inside all along, Scott. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's clearly not the answer. <laughs> um, no, I mean it, it kind of is to what you're saying. Like the the actual going, testing your metal kind of thing, and coming out on top, and then having, like you said, something to hang on your wall, so to speak, like a. a a badge of pride kind of thing because well i qualified for the first ever energon invitational and then i'm gonna go play with the big dogs as opposed to just it's a bunch of boxes yeah it's it's a leading to b leading to c. And i yeah. think as long as you have that there's an incentive to play in a and once when you only have a leading to b and it's constant like that like a lot of times once you have qualified you may not show up 
again. Right. Um, and again, as the game grows, this I may, you know, I may be old man shoot, shoot, yelling at clouds um, <laughs> because it might because it won't exist. But you know, mm. um, but in general, I, I think as as long as if we were to if it was to remain that way, I see that problem potentially existing. Yes. Uh, now it does sound at least from what Drew has said publicly that we're going to get a similar structure this coming year, um, which isn't necessarily bad. I just hope that more people go, hey, it's it's worth continuing to play, that playing in the events has other value just from a staying competitive standpoint, learning the card pool, testing theories, competing for the sake of competing. Uh, but yeah, there is a potential concern there. I think the current system, if it was to continue, puts a lot of pressure on the player base to ensure, like, oh, store A isn't having a, the qualifier at the same time as store B. Or I yes, mean, I mean that is definitely going to be a thing that has to be addressed, um, and just greater coordination within geographical areas, so it isn't, yeah, we'll all have our qualifiers on the same day, and then wonder why four people showed up at each of them. Well, right, because there's ten of them, and you're all within a few miles of each other. Like that's just not going right. to work. Um, do you feel that? <clears throat> I'm trying to figure out how to phrase a question meta wise that the how the evolution worked from Gen Con to the end of EIQ. Um, do you think it was a natural progression? Like it would have happened anyway? Do you think it was a direct result of the way the qualifiers shaped up? Anything along those lines that, like, I'm going to my first event of the 2020 uh, Q season, like, any tidbits from there that you think stand out? No, because not enough stuff was was reported. So specifically, I don't have that. I don't have that answer that I'd like to have. So no, I don't have. Got it. Um, Because there wasn't a formal. Or I, I should say informal. Uh, result recording process to even have a third party collect the information and report out on what the metagame looks like, what the metagame right. looks like next week. And I, to be honest with you, I, I a lot of that is, again, because of the free-for-all nature of there was this four-person event in Timbuktu, mm-hmm. and there was this 30-person event in a high geographic area they carry the same prize or there was this two pack event being played incorrectly in this EIQ. Like, you know, like (laughs) about so, (laughs) so the free for all nature of it hurt the ability to actually see that. And in my opinion, as a competitive player, what the, the, what the enjoyment of watching these seasons develop is. Um, so I, I, I don't have an answer because I just don't know. And I also know personally, like we were playing different decks every week just to play them because they quote, didn't mean anything to us. Right. And from our perspective, it was, it it was what we were talking about or what I had said earlier about for the love of the game, but also to experiment with these other cards, learn more about how they, other interactions. Yeah. But to anybody else I recommended or like any patrons or anything like what decks to play it was always basically it was still heavily influenced from gen con and from the testing oh, we did leading into it and it was not based on eiq results 
right at all well like you said there there wasn't much to go on to be perfectly honest right right which so it is what it is um hopefully yep. next time around we will get whether it's some first party initiative or it is just Everybody wants to brag about, <laughs> you know, I won my EIQ with this. This is what was there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that, and it is, I joke about it being bragging, but it is something that is a useful tool. It's not just a way to pump your ego. It really does help the community as a whole to give people who are like, hey, I want to get into this. I don't have a clue what I'm doing or where to start. Right. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Any other Thoughts about the EIQ season or that that time frame between Gen Con and Siege 2? No, it was great. It was great. Like I said, it was great to have people come out every week. And, and mm-hmm. I know in the community, there was a great, you know, there was a lot of pressure on people and things like that. So I know it existed, just didn't personally exist for us. Yeah, it uh, it was definitely a, a fun time, and it was great to play in these different events. To like you said, play for something. There was there was something on the line, and it definitely felt different than playing for a bunch of boxes or or store credit or something like that. It it, it psychologically it was different going through those events, which was cool. Uh, but then it whoop, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, it led into Siege Two. And the press ban. And the what? And the press ban. Well, we, we talked a lot about that. I, did you have yeah. something else you wanted to throw in there for the press no, ban? Okay. It was, just, it was just good to see that they would react to right. a deck building issue, not they, necessarily a play issue. Exactly. And it, so to get the other one out of the way, because it's going to be part of Siege 2 before we lead into EI, the uh, multi-mission gear ban, which is another thing that... Again, reinforces the idea that Wizards cares. It also, because this one's a little bit weird to phrase, but I feel like they're willing to push boundaries on things, which clearly there are going to be some missteps. Like it's going to happen when you try and push boundaries, that you're going to step over a line somewhere that you didn't realize was a problem, or maybe it explodes into a bigger issue than you had anticipated. But it's worth. I think doing that in order to continue to create interesting gameplay experiences Mm -hmm. Uh, as opposed to they could take a super safe route and just this set is not even a half a step more. It's like one tenth of a step more, a few toes more than the last one. And then 10 years from now, we're finally getting to somewhere really interesting as opposed to just comparing numbers. Uh, I think it's worth that they are both it's worth mentioning that they are both going to push the envelope, but be willing to seal it back up, I guess. I, I don't really have a cliche to to close that one out. Um, I know what you mean. So uh, I figured I'd get the, the multi-mission gear piece out of there. We'll, prob- we'll clearly be talking about Daring Escape shortly. But uh, you had mentioned earlier that you felt Siege 2 and Wave 2 were significantly more powerful than Siege 1. But other than just the plain power level, what felt different leading in with this and then ultimately into EI? Um, I guess the the power level of the cards is just so much higher. Um, it's also clearly... This set, I could tell, was created to basically 
push out a lot of the powerhouses from the all the way from the beginning of the game. Um, this this set allows for way more interaction. Opponents turn just very very powerful secret actions. Yep. Um, the character health pools are just so gigantic that can't rely on incremental damage happening from different angles. Like you have to put the envelope on well, the numbers that you're doing. Yeah, you had said, a, or maybe did you say this offline? I'm trying to remember that it it definitely to your point about it referring back to previous meta games and then it eventually rearing its head in these sets where you can see the answers to like the thing before. And I distinctly recall a lot of people at local events in various conversations said, Oh, well, wouldn't it be nice if they just had one more point of defense or just a few more handful, more hit points. Well, now they do. (laughs) And now you can see exactly where and how the game shapes up with those parameters set that way. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's obvious that like the numbers that they were going to be able to push from like a control deck perspective, the 14 hit points on Optimus Prime Battlefield Legends just aren't enough. Anymore. It's um, funny to think about that, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, I think the big point is the cries that people had of certain just weren't true because those cards don't really exist in the metagame and anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like so, anything else, it, it's a, and I've said this a lot on other shows. I it, it, this game is very much baby's first card game in a lot of respects, and it is where there are those lessons of these decks aren't going to last forever. These strategies aren't necessarily going to last forever, unless you abstract it to like, yes, there will always be aggro decks. Yes, there will be always be control decks, sort of thing. Right. Um, right. But the ebb and flow of any particular card, any particular archetype, is going to happen as you see things evolve, whether that's an artificial thing such as a ban or it's just the natural new cards came out, everybody understands the game better, people are playing tighter, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think this set also is one of the ones I that I guess a lot of the other sets felt very insular. Very um, what? Like insular. Okay. Like like, if you're going to run a combiner team, you're obviously right. Now, it's like, even if your main character comes from this set, a lot of times your supporting character don't. So, we mm-hmm. didn't leave anybody behind. Like, like the power creep happened in the main characters, but not necessarily in the support character. So, it's you hard still to have power a variety. Creep. It's hard to power creep out Flame War. It's hard to power creep out, uh, like, some of the staple mid-level characters like mm-hmm. Prowl from Rise of the Combiners. And, and so it's hard to power some of those, or even General Optimus from Siege 1, which is clearly, arguably, I, I don't even know if you can argue it, like, just popular mm-hmm. and powerful character that came out of that set. Right. Um, but even, like, the Blaster deck is obviously very insular to just running card. Our version was literally just characters from from that whole set. Right. Whereas this set seems to want to play with other sets pretty cohesively. Even when you take a patrol into perspective and things like that, a lot of times they're running them. The the 
the the off character is still from another set typically right so i think that yeah oh god i was gonna say to extrapolate your point it it, we're now hitting the i mean maybe we're always there to some extent but we're hitting the point where it it really is yeah you're gonna have the self-contained deck out of the new set but it's also a matter of reevaluating previous characters to okay well now i have my new big centerpiece guy it's jetfire it's galaxy prime it's whatever and now i outfit them or flank them with these other characters uh i don't know if we i mean i guess the the airstrike patrol plus nemesis plus springer plus general optimus kind of fits the the wider decks because then they're not a a centerpiece sort Mm -hmm. of build uh but you get these more variety-driven compositions than you did in the past. Is that where you're going with it? Yeah, throughout the sets, not just insulated in set. Right. So the point being, when Wave 5 hits, uh, it is going to be a wider investigation of, okay, where do these pieces fit? Does this suddenly make this other composition more viable because it shores up this hole as opposed to just, okay, I'm going to scoop up my combiner team and drop it on the table. Right. Gotcha. Right. Um, so the other piece that we have to mention is the daring escape part. Uh, I, we've said a lot of words about it, but I do understand the, the designs team desire for this additional axis and the way it interacts. And I think it is something in concept, very interesting. Like just the idea of hitting on this additional axis so that it changes up that rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock scenario with this other piece to throw a wrench in things. Uh, A lot of people have said a lot of words about how this particular iteration (laughs) bears out. Um, I think going forward, we I'm curious whether we're going to see something like this, not in the way Daring Escape plays, but something on this axis every set from here on out, once a year from here on out. Uh, how is that going to play out? I, I'm i very curious going forward, but time will tell on that one. I mean, I think anytime they print flashy, flashy, powerful effect battle, the 25 of the 40 cards are going to look the same and you just eventually get to the singular, which is, again, mm. I'm on record many times. So, I yeah. think you're going to continue to see it as long as they print anything that basically allows in the battle deck to overtake its own. In the battle deck to what? You were breaking up, Scott. That, that overtakes the game on its own oh. as a one-time effect. Mm. I mean, it could, be, it, it, it could draw 10 cards. For all I care, it could be something like that. Like, mm. Doesn't necessarily have to say win the game. Yeah, there's um, some things that are close enough, right? And if they continue to push the envelope in those things, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Okay, uh, yeah. it was starting to get weird at the end, so uh, I'll... lost, lost one. Ah, uh, gotcha. Um. <laughs> So Siege 2, before we dive into EI, because that's the the next thing, any other takeaways from there that, it, did you have the same sort of epiphanies that you did in Rise of the Combiners and Siege 1 with 
either card evaluation, meta evaluation, or was this just a continuation of the previous thoughts? Um, I don't think as many stones were left unturned. Like I think patrols were looked at more seriously than they were, obviously. Um, I don't think there were any new strategies that like occurred as a result of it because there weren't new because it's the second set of a quote block. So like we weren't going to get like we didn't just discover battle masters. We didn't just discover right micromasters and things like that. We still never use one tavern ever. Um, but you, you know, would be correct. I, <laughs> but um, you know, I think things like flip dance pushed even more now. I think that's certainly one of them. Yeah, uh, I think beyond the the power level that you had mentioned earlier, it, it it's good that you brought up flip density because I think Siege Two reinforced a lot of the existing theories about the game, whether it's flip density, whether it's spheres, whether it's you know pick other thing that we've talked about ad nauseum that it definitely reinforced and supported those ideas, and they kind of the the through line is there. Those universal ideas. What was that? (laughs) Those universal ideas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, as opposed to, like, I I don't want to come up with a card on the spot. Like, something that suddenly turned one of those things upside down. Like you said, like the the press for the the press to spheres comparison, where it it kind of broke some of that down because of what it did. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we have something like that in Siege 2 that I can think of offhand. But to be fair, I'm I'm very tired, so maybe I'm missing something. No, and it's still it's still early in this match, right? I don't I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's I don't think we need to even spend a lot of time on the CPU oh, yeah. section or even the EI section. Yeah, it's all fresh in everyone's mind. Of course, I mean uh, all of this is of course caveated with the exception of daring escape and that whole thing. But like you said, yeah, yeah. we talked a lot about those. So moving from there into EI, we got uh, Dan's mug up on screen again. Um, what are the, what are the major takeaways from the first world championship? Uh, I mean, I guess the hard work pays off. Um, yeah. I... <laughs> the play skill is a thing that card evaluation is a thing, the deck building thing. Mm-hmm having a team is a thing all the things we and we'll probably continue to talk about for the next six months and forever well i was about to say a bunch of those topics that you brought up we do have tentatively slated for the future because they are relevant things that seem uh, without getting too far into it like teams they they mean certain things but as i joke with people offline like words mean things and you come to learn that not they don't mean the same thing to everybody. Uh, and the capacity in which they do or do not mean certain things influences all these conversations and a lot of the, the research that goes into preparing for these events. Yeah, I think the big thing for me now is just that, again, going into an event like this, you need a much more flexible strategy and a more understanding of the game than a very linear one. Like, I, I still think that, you know, people that went in and whether they knew it or not, just like with serious weaknesses to certain obvious strategies, just 
it didn't go well. Well, a lot of that uh, comes back to preparation, which I mean, like you put it succinctly, that hard work pays off. Uh, yeah, and putting in the effort. And I don't want this to come across as insulting to anybody. I don't want to say, oh, well, sucks to be you. You know, you just didn't put in the effort. It's like, okay, well, did you go about it the right way? Like, you could hammer out a thousand games if you're playing all the test games from a certain perspective incorrectly. You're just wasting your time sort of thing. Uh, and we'll we'll beat these topics to death and have in the past and will in the future. But um, there there's definitely a lot to that goes into that. Well, I don't, I think the other big thing though, for me was the effort didn't necessarily have to come. The effort didn't necessarily games. what? Didn't have to come from physically playing games. Yes. Like it came from phone conversations, meetings, right? Not holding the <clears throat> cards in our hands. And I think part of the, what you're saying about like the, the uh, hard work paying off is also the, understanding of the game and and then the, the the culmination of all of the efforts of 2019 building to one event mm-hmm. is what we're trying to explain to everybody is an iterative process of everything we right and thus being able to short in the end what we had to how we had to prepare and the there were certain truths that we held to that we knew and didn't have to reorder in a short period of time leading up to an event, unlike leading up to gender. Right. So. Makes sense. But uh, it's, like you said, it's a, it's a larger. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, there, there's no way in the, to tackle it in this particular recap, but uh, there's. And I think we're on <coughs> hour two already. Oh yeah. We're, we're at <laughs> one hour, 59 minutes, according to my clock. <laughs> Now, to be fair, there's like 10 minutes in there that was just the the countdown. But anyway, uh, Mm -hmm. so that kind of closes out the the 2019 stuff before we will do a brief 2020 preview sort of thing and bring up a couple notes. But any closing thoughts on the year highlights of the highlight reel? I mean, I guess the one thing that I will say that we, I think as a group, content creator, players, we tried to focus this podcast on the things that we could have taken away from a gameplay perspective so that you, you as a listener... Sorry. Uh-oh. Bentley can, and Bentley can. <laughs> <laughs> um, But I think we learned a lot about... I mean, I learned a tremendous amount about e-commerce, about um, content creation, you know, all these different things. Yep. Th- throughout the year. You know, about social media, about, um, <laughs> you know, you name it from the internet space. I learned a lot this year. Right. Web design, like whatever. Uh, monetization is a big one, I guess. So, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that is what is pretty much the only stuff I can concretely say we're going to be focusing on going forward because it's the only thing that I know right mm. for like. So. I was going to say that kind of segues into the 2020 plan. So do you want to highlight that before we make some absurd predictions? Yeah, I would say the two biggest things we learned in 2019 were the goal of daily content creation just wasn't realistic from a um, impact perspective. 
I think we felt pressure every single day to put out something that was like a cornerstone article, video, post, whatever. And I think that's just unrealistic, no matter how many people you have. There are only so many cornerstones. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, how do I say this? People just don't care half the time. So, like, you know, unless you're really... Yeah, yeah. Unless you're really signposting something in bright lights, like, you need to read this, like... And even if you are, there's were... there's always going to be a, a counterfaction, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, it never, it didn't always mean anything. I just think the qual. I think some of the quality at certain times suffered as a result of it. Mm. Um, and I think we also discovered there was a certain audience that we preferred to to um, to satisfy, and that was basically the audience that showed a desire to want to hear and take in the content. So that's the first part of yeah. what we learned in 20, 2019 and pushing towards twenty twenty is just that we know who that audience is. We know how to. We're trying to understand how to serve their needs best, and that way is by not having as much immediate public content and just reaching that audience that we know wants to be reached and wants to be helped. How we can help them, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't want to be a super, if you don't want to improve your competitive play, you're probably not listening as I speak anyway, whether live or after the fact. Um, so. I can't reach you regardless. I don't think right. we can reach you no matter what. So I'd rather put my average in people that I know want the assistance and like I can talk to on a, it doesn't have to necessarily be on a one-on-one basis, although it is often. Um, but I can put like a gameplay scenario in front of them and explain like why you should attack that way or why you should defend that way, whatever. I'm explaining to them why you should play this card over another card, why you should, why that card you pitched on turn one to go get that green cost you the entire. Right. Oh, there's something to be said. Do <laughs> know what you do well and do it well. I just don't think that a, that a certain percentage of the population is going to care mm. about that that type of thing because that's just not why they're here. They're here. Which again is reasons. is fine, yeah. The the game right. being a licensed game is going to attract uh, people from. I mean, it sounds weird, but I guess all walks, uh, and yeah. you can find your enjoyment. And that's why I brought it up when we were talking about Wave Two. Is when you're evaluating the game and your place in it, I guess you need to think about how you want to interact with the game, how you want to interact with the community, or I guess on all those fronts or not. Um, and that's going to drive and help you enjoy the game more. There's no point in forcing yourself to do something you don't like. I don't really enjoy playing any card games casually. So I don't, that's why I lean into the competitive side. So, um, and it's fine if it happens to be the opposite for you personally. Although, like you said, I don't know how many people are listening to this and, and really follow that sentence or at least to that end. (laughs) Right. Um, that's that's one change. Um, and the other one is just YouTube is a hard nut to crack. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I think there's things that we've learned. Um, I think I, I think our segment of the community that we're trying to reach, again, to, to piggyback off the point we just talked about, the, the type of content that we typically put out there on YouTube, 
may not appeal to a mass audience that they're looking for, which I think is probably like gameplay videos and things like that. We plan to do more of them, but again, I think we're just doing it a service just by giving you untested ideas because we tried to stand by showing gameplay videos of stuff that we would take to a tournament and stuff like right. that. We just don't have the ability to just like... Well, by definition, you can't thoroughly test something as quickly as you can just throw something together and fling it at the wall. Like, right. And if that's like, just if, how it if, works. If our, if our choice is to film, like, like if we were, like, we did a couple, again, Patreon based playtest sessions on video. And if we were to release that publicly, we're just doing a disservice to the people that want that information and are coming to us for that information. So, again, they're tested decks and they're out there and, and we just want to, like, it's just not possible to put out that, that type of content on a regular basis unless we, like, yes, we all live, quote, close to each other, but it would still take, like, an hour to get everything set up and then... I got kids, man. I can't. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, we're going to try different ways. We're going to try different things to reach everybody, but I don't... It's just a tough nut to crack because I I guess I'm a I don't really know what the right phrase is like I'm a I form over function is all I can think of but I don't really know how to explain it but like I feel like the information that we give out even publicly has a lot of value to it and whether and it just because it's presented in a way where they see an icon of me and you on the screen and some weird background stuff doesn't mean that there's anything less to take in yet I don't know maybe they'd rather see emojis flying across the screen I don't know I mean, it's something I still don't really understand. So, yeah, it's uh, but to that end, I guess <sighs> people out there listening, if you have suggestions for it, I know I'm yes. willing to to listen to ideas or how should we improve things. I mean, yes, I know. I'm not. Need, I'm not we, going to listen to those ideas. I'm well, <laughs> we need. I know we need to get Scott a microphone <laughs> and we need to get him to to sit in one place when we dog. do it. Can I have dog? Right? Yeah. Exactly. No. No. Let, let's not go too far, Scott. We're not going to go yeah. that far. Um, <laughs> yeah. but. In all seriousness, yeah, if you have suggestions or how you would like content presented or what you think would be beneficial, we're definitely all ears on that front. Um, so Yeah, we plan to do things like focus groups and things like that, to be honest with you, at events. Mm -hmm. Because again, we know our bread and butter is events, and we know our bread and butter is organized play. Absolutely. And we, we know there's a growing segment of the population that would like information on that. And frankly, I don't think there's a large segment of the population that's out content. Right. Like we're willing, like that's going to always remain our bread. That's going to remain our bread and butter. And so, like one of the things we're definitely doing for 2020 is um, pushing going to events more often. Mm -hmm. um, right now, like like a, like a few of us are going to Orlando, for example, to go to the PPG tour. Like those of us that are qualified, or even those that aren't, um, that's the upcoming event for us. But like. Once the rest of the PBG, or not the rest, but like the season three of the PBG tour is announced, like we're going to make an effort to go to every single one of those events, no matter where they are, whether it's driving distance, whether it's flying, like whatever, because we don't feel like we can actually give out proper information unless we're actually physically there to to get it. Yeah. Or to... There's something to be to, said for being there in person. Or to create it. Like, like I, we can't hold our, we can't continue to hold ourselves out as experts if we're not even showing up for the event. Mm. to win like, right i'm not saying we have to win every event but like we can't even if we don't even give ourselves a chance like there's no point well, in even 
talking about it. Like, something, you know. something, you miss 100% of the shots, something like that. Right, right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I've, I've heard a saying about that somewhere. I, I've seen it on Michael Scott's board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. That's where I got it from. Uh, uh, yeah, Dan's got the right idea. We need to invest in doggy cams. Which I would, but my dog only mm-hmm. likes to hang out sometimes down here. Other times she's, you know, doing her rounds and guarding the house, which she would probably just run if anything happened. But that's a different story. Um, I would, for me, I in 2020, I, I would definitely love to do more Transformers-related streaming. Obviously, Scott, you had the opportunity to uh, do some casting if there are opportunities there. Uh, it's something we could probably look into as well. Uh I anticipate there's probably going to be a few people who suggest that as a thing. Um, just we'll see how the logistics work. Yeah, again, it's just a technology thing. Like I think going back and looking at some of the matches that haven't been publicly releasing and doing commentary on them first before releasing them is definitely possible. Mm-hmm. I think our partnership with PBG will allow us to do that at some of the larger um, games that occur at those events as well. Right. Um, again, and and I also want to put my money where my mouth is in terms of that whole concept of people want to play for something. Um, I'm going to be talking to uh, the PPG folks about like you know could we have had these qualifiers earlier in the quote season? I know why they didn't because it's not a Transformers thing. It's mostly for the other games that existed for the last whatever eleven or for twelve now. months of this season. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's an opportunity in the future to have these kit level events on a monthly basis at your store like that, a way to formalize it. I think it's a great opportunity and something I'm going to be talking to them about in Orlando for, so, absolutely. just know that a lot of the things that I say, I'm trying to find solutions from a competitive community perspective to make them into a reality in the best way that I can. There's other famous sayings about, you know, getting involved uh there pick your cliche of choice about not just complaining about things but trying to enact some sort of change uh there are of course limitations on an individual's level what they can or can't do or what they're let's face it it is a hobby it's not your professional life for most people Mm. listening to this uh maybe everybody listening to this so you will have limitations but that doesn't mean that you there's literally nothing that you can do uh there's a talk to your local store talk to your local community reach out to some of these people uh it's they're not as intimidating as they might seem on the internet kind of thing no my commitment though for 2020 is to try to be like that source for you to talk from a competitive standpoint Mm -hmm. about how to how to improve things in your area and things like that. And I'll do everything in my power with the connections I have to make some of these things into realities. Yep. So I already uh, have my, I already have calls out to all the people we've talked about. So Awesome. Well, Scott, to close out, we, I have the graphic up there from the, the slight teaser we got about wave five coming out in April. Do you have a one wild prediction, whether it's about wave five or anything else in 2020 for the Transformers CCG that you want to throw out there? Um, I think what's been shown in the last, especially in Siege 2, was that it seems to me like they're trying to blur some of the lines. Um, the colors of your deck having to be, like, monochrome. Right. And I think I think we've, obviously, I piloted a deck at Gen Con that was very similar to that. I think even the deck we piloted at the Energon Invitational had a decent amount of all-color 
uh, right. pips. But I think that they're going to continue to push that because it just opens up variety in deck building. Absolutely. And so I, I hope and I assume that, the, like, you know, things like the Airstrike Patrol, I know we bring them up a lot, but obviously I think they're the shining example of this, where yeah. you have a non-combat color pip influencing combat in such a powerful way that I think that they'll continue to push that. I think we saw that with... I think that successful the, experiment, yeah, is definitely going to be continued in some capacity. Yeah, I think, like, the, the white pips matter uh, cards, like erratic armor and cannon whatever they're called, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, acute reflexes to an extent, trying to push the white pips, having a secondary use. I just think the reason they don't see as much play is because it requires like almost a mini combo of drawing the battle card and not having it be on the character. It's the whole argument of like Ramhorn versus Bolster type of thing. Right, right. Um, So I think we will continue to get that. I also think, I also hope they will continue to get subtle ways of interacting on your opponent's turn again, coming back to the Ramhorn secret action type thing. Right. So, like, I do think the two biggest improvements to the game in 2019 were secret actions and green pips. So, I do think that both of those will get pushed. Yeah. Um, I assume we will probably see at least one new pip color sometime during the year. I have no guesses or no uh, idea what that who would knows be. But what that's going to do? It, it could be anything. Right. right. It could even um, be a boat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, those would be my big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of like characters and things like that, I have no idea because they because the cartoon is coming out. I think in the summer. Right. Is that correct? Uh, that sounds I right. It, <laughs> I haven't followed it as much as the uh, what I've been looking for, looking for details about the new toy line to see if both interest in the toys and also to see if there are any clues there. But it's not. There's not a huge amount yet of information, yeah. I mean. So, until we know all that, I, I don't think there's any way to guess mm. what the character selection will be, because I think, not next set, because they already said it's going to be a throwback set, but for the set after, assume they tie directly into that. Um, I would In some way, shape, or form. So. Yeah, I'm hoping that... I have a lot of hopes for what will end up being in a set, but I don't really have any justification that they're going to be there. Like, I'd love to see the combiners that never made it, like the Combaticons. Uh, I'd love to see, like you said, uh, from a gameplay perspective, more green pips, although I do, to our earlier discussion, have, I wonder if they're going to go that far, or is there going to be a new pip color that smooths things in a different way? Um, like a wild card pip somehow. I don't know what, how that mechanic would play out, but something that, it, it or how it would be functionally different than just having multiple pips, but you know the wild card thing could be something that comes out. I it's all just wild speculation at this stage. There, there's a lot of year ahead of us, and I'm I'm excited to see what ends up showing up. Yep, agreed. So, well, I think we did it at about two hours. I'm going to say that with the the ten minutes in there, it says two sixteen. So yeah, a little over two hours. Never mind. So two two shows as usual. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably split it somewhere in the middle of the year. It seems appropriate. Yep. Uh, yep. And this time I have graphics, so I can find the, the the chopping spot easier. But anyway, there you go. As always, everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching, and please tune in next time for more tech talk. <laughs>